In the last decade, women have made up 50% of law school graduates, yet women make up only 38% of the legal profession. Somewhere along the line, we are losing women in the practice of law. What's the story? We're here to spill it. This is Spilling the Tea with M. Shielli, the podcast bringing together leaders and trailblazers to candidly share insights into their careers with the goal of helping you succeed in yours. Here's your host, a lawyer and advocate fiercely dedicated to the advancement of women in the legal profession, S.C. Selleck. Ona DeSunmu is the Chief Executive Officer of the California Lawyers Association. A recognized leader in the legal profession, Ona joined CLA with deep expertise in nonprofit governance and operations. Her legal experience includes stints in both private law firms and in-house. Most recently, Ona held a number of positions at the Brookings Institution, where she was Vice President and General Counsel and served as Interim COO. As CEO of CLA, she is focused on supporting the sections, serving members, and fulfilling CLA's mission by building the organization's financial, technical, and human capacity. Ona is particularly passionate about creating an organization's culture of trust, transparency, positivity, and respect. In addition to the basics of running the organization, she is excited to build a new brand and to build relationships and partnerships with external stakeholders and constituencies. Ona earned her law degree from Georgetown University Law Center after graduating with a bachelor's degree in journalism and a master's degree in sociology from Howard University. She has served on numerous legal and nonprofit boards, including the Children's Law Center and the Corporate Pro Bono Advisory Board, as well as two terms on the Global Governing Board of the Association of Corporate Counsel, or ACC. She also chaired ACC's Board Level Advocacy Committee and was elected chair of ACC's National Nonprofit Organizations Committee. Ona is a wife and the proud mom of twins, son Taiwo and daughter Kindy. When she is not in the office or traveling for work, she enjoys biking, reading, and swimming. Welcome to um, Spilling the Tea with M. Shelley. You are going to be our, our second speaker on this lovely podcast. I really appreciate you being here. And I figured we just we just go right into some of these questions and, and see what, what you have to tell us here today. Okay? Happy to do it. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you. I'm excited for you to be here too. So the, let's get the ball rolling. So what does success mean to you or what is your biggest legal accomplishment? Yeah, great question. So success for me is really about building institutional changes and building structures that will stand the test of time. I've got a few accomplishments in my life as a lawyer. I guess I should back up and introduce myself. I'm currently the CEO and executive director of the California Lawyers Association, which means that I'm um, you know, what you might call a recovering lawyer or an ex-lawyer or a lawyer who's not necessarily practicing. I'm still licensed to practice in the District of Columbia, but I don't do that. And yeah, so right now I work with lawyers and uh, try to support lawyers as they become the best professionals that they can be. So, you know, I was a lawyer though once, both in private practice and in in-house. I was in-house for a large nonprofit. And two of my biggest accomplishments, I think past tense, when I was, uh, in fact, you know, sort of wearing the lawyer hat. Um, neither of them is purely legal, but they're kind of 
legal tangential, legal, you know, legal adjacent. Uh, legal adjacent is a good a good way of framing them. One is the actual creation of the legal function and the legal department at my former employer. It was, uh, as I said, a large nonprofit think tank in the District of Columbia, DC. And um, when I first became in-house counsel, they had no in-house counsel, they had no legal department, um, nothing. <laughs> and wow. so I went from uh, zero Scratch. to building, uh, yeah. Yeah, to building um, a really great team. Uh, when I left, we were five people, um, wow. really well-integrated, well-respected in the organization. And that is, you know, there's a cultural shift that happens in an organization between sort of not having in-house counsel and really not conferring with lawyers a lot to actually having in-house counsel. And I feel great about sort of the way I left things. For me, I'm super proud of the fact that my deputy, who I hired and mentored and supported throughout his career, became the new general counsel. When I came over to CLA, uh, he took my place and as he is quick to point out and is in fact true, if they were unhappy or dissatisfied with the direction that I'd taken the legal department, I'm sure they'd be really quick to say, oh, we're going to go outside. We're going to do a search. We're going to find someone else, right? um, Mm -hmm. To come in and change things, but they didn't. And I think that speaks to this idea of kind of building something that will last. The other thing I did at my former employer, which was frankly a heavy lift, but one that I'm extraordinarily proud of, um, and it speaks to one of my passions, is I got them to publish, and you can still see them on their website today, their demographic data about employment, uh, broken down, not just generically, you know, sort of all lumped together, but really broken down by kind of job function, which... um, I know that in private practice, uh, very often big law firms, you know, tend to bring in lots of sort of junior associates. And if you count uh, support staff, you know, they look really diverse, right? Uh, right. But when you start talking about equity partners, um, probably not so diverse. Uh, right. And, yeah. you know, my former employer, at least at that time, was similarly situated in that the positions of power uh, were for the most part held by white men. And to get them to sort of own where they were at the time. They've made tremendous strides and tremendous improvements since then. But And to own it and to own it publicly for me was big. Um, so those are two things I did when I was in fact practicing law. And then of course, there's all the work we're doing at CLA, which is um, extraordinarily exciting. For your listeners who may not know, the California Lawyers Association was formed by an act of the legislature in 2017. It was launched in 2018. I came on board in 2019. But we're basically, you know, three years old. We've got three years under our belt and we've done a lot in three years. We've created and projected a new brand. We've really established ourselves as advocates for the profession, particularly during the pandemic. I'm extraordinarily proud of the way we were able to be there for our members. And we are embracing and championing diversity, equity, and inclusion in a way that's near and dear to my heart. We're launching uh, a number of new diversity fellowships for folks who are already in law school, but we recently also just uh, uh, published and made available, and you can see it again on the CLA website, which is calawyers.org, a comic book. So I think it's super important to reach young people way before college, way before high school and plant the seed, you know, that 
not all lawyers are the kind of folks that you see on TV. There are lots of different ways in which um, one can be a lawyer. And there are lawyers that look like you that have life experiences like your life experience. And that's within the realm of sort of the possible. So I'm proud, really proud of the work that the California Lawyers Association is doing in that space. And, um, you know, we are, again, I think just making great strides in three short years as the voluntary bar association for the whole state and all the lawyers in the state. So probably enough there. (laughs) Yeah, no. I should probably stop talking. (laughs) No, you're you're great. I was going to say you, I feel like you, you definitely don't take on little tasks. You know, it's, you, uh, it seems like they call you in when there's like a, a, a big issue and they're like, well, we're going to need somebody to uh, overhaul this whole system. So uh, we're going to we're going to get you involved. And that's awesome. That's super yeah, great. I like building. I, I, I like building. I, I, you know, I and I don't and shy away from a challenge and I have a really? fair amount of perseverance, <laughs> which is required. I mean, all of the tasks that you just explained seem that you just accomplished, especially, you know, building CLA, because I've sort of watched it kind of in the last three years come from, not, I've never, I'd never heard of it, obviously, because it wasn't in existence. It didn't exist. Being a <laughs> lawyer, yeah. In, not a, not yeah, yeah, in, 2000, in 2013, I was like, there, there was no CLA. And then all of a sudden I'm like, what's this new organization? And now it's, you know, booming. And so that has a lot to do with, with obviously what you've done for it. So it's, it's, it's huge. And it's just been a, a real change. And so obviously that's testament to what you're, what you're doing. And I did not know about the comic book, but I it's new. Want, <laughs> want to leave this interview and go look at it. So yeah. that is exciting. I won't leave because obviously we're here, but I'm very excited about a comic book. No, um, I mean, I, it was one of my things that, you know, my vision and my dream is that we will really be touching young people kind of at every step of the way. Yeah. Um, we're not quite there yet, but I, I really want us to be like touching students with student, with civic, excuse me, civic education, yeah. like in the elementary school years, getting lawyers in classrooms, the elementary school level and sort of tracking and having supports for them all the way through graduation from law school and passage of the bar. Yeah, that That's is so, I mean, that is so cool. And we've been talking about, I feel like we've been talking about that for a long time, but there's been no like tangible thing that we can tell anybody to do or show anybody. So the fact that you're actually creating these things is, is really exciting. And so that's why I'm really excited to go look at it. Okay. So next question, what's the biggest change you'd like to see in the legal profession? Now, I know that this week's been a little bit crazy just with everything that's kind of gone down. <laughs> just for, the, just yeah. for the people who are listening, it's it's been a weird week. We've got the the Chauvin case, the the uh, Floyd verdict in Minnesota. And so I understand if you don't want to touch upon that, but there's a, there's a lot that's gone on uh, just this week, and, and I'm wondering what you think the biggest change you'd like to see in the legal profession might might be. Great question. I mean, I interpreted the question to really be sort of about the profession, but you okay. did bring up the uh, Chauvin verdict, and so I um, would be remiss if, as uh, a wife to a black man and a mother of a black son, I didn't touch on that. And you know. Uh, people had lots of feelings around it and people were grateful and people were to some extent celebratory. And I think we should celebrate, right? We should be happy that this happened. 
but recognize that the only reason we're celebrating, the only reason that we're so excited is because it's so rare and so yeah. often um, justice for, you know, uh, the death of black and brown and LGBTQ and other people at the hands of police is the exception and not the rule. And so uh, from my perspective, I am hopeful that this is the beginning of some kind of systemic change. I am concerned, frankly, uh, about backlash. Yeah. Um, it seems as if, and you can you know, track the history of the United States uh, from inception on, <laughs> yeah. uh, that you know, the story of race in America is the story of um, two or three steps forward and potentially, at least in the short term, many more back. And, you know, Civil War followed by Reconstruction, followed by Jim Crow, civil yeah. rights followed by mass incarceration, Barack Obama, uh, frankly, followed by Donald Trump. Um, you can edit this out if you want to stay. I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> I do not want to edit this out. I want everything uh, you're saying right now. Uh, having said that, you know, I should be very, very clear that um, the California Lawyers Association is, of course, nonpartisan. And that's my yes. own personal view and opinion. Yes. Um, and certainly I'm not uh, speaking on behalf of CLA when I say yes. that. So, you know, lawyers have been for better or for worse on both sides of this, right? Yeah. Lawyers and judges enforced uh, the laws of Jim Crow. Lawyers and judges, you know, failed to prosecute systemic human rights abuses and lawyers and judges gave us the Brown decision. And, you know, so, yeah. you know, we're, we're kind of on all sides and I, I, I have a lot of feelings around it as do many people. Uh, and again, can only hope that this is the beginning of some change. Certainly, uh, you know, the California Lawyers Association is engaged in trying to be architects uh, and engineers of that change. You know, lawyers are in this really, really, in my view, privileged and unique position to sort of be uh, social engineers and, and change makers. Uh, one of the things that uh, came out of uh, the horrible events of May of last year uh, for CLA, like many other organizations, we launched a racial justice committee, and they've just been doing extraordinary work. And, uh, you know, we're in it for the long haul, right? Yeah. Uh, Chauvin verdict or no Chauvin verdict. Exactly. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done, both in terms of education and in terms of legislation and in terms of litigation. Uh, and I'm hopeful that, you know, we're going to be in it for the long haul. And in terms of changes in the profession, right? Um, I kind of spoke to it when I talked about uh, my vision for CLA in terms of kind of touching young people, uh, particularly young people of color and other historically underrepresented groups that we will have a profession and a bench that looks like and has the life experiences of the rest of the country. That's certainly not the case now. And you know, I won't bore, bore your listeners with all the data and statistics, but the state bar does a good job of uh, keeping track of all that. And, you know, we are focused on it as well. But I think the more inspiring message is the one around change, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, once you get people into the profession, then you've got the challenge uh, of keeping them there. Um, yeah. And so that's the other piece. And I think it's equally important in helping them succeed. We have partnered with uh, the DC bar and uh, a scholar, fairly well-known scholar uh, who did a lot of groundbreaking work around 
sort of a substance abuse and mental health for lawyers. And next week, we will be releasing and doing a public event around uh, an updated study. The participants in the survey were members of the California bar and members of the DC bar. And one of the survey results and one of the outcomes, research outcomes that the author is going to share is that women were hit really, really hard by the, uh, you know, pandemic uh, professionally hard, right? Not just not in terms of, I mean, obviously a lot of people were, became ill and lost their lives, but for a whole host of reasons, women did not fare well in terms of wellness. Um, And so, you know, sort of tackling those issues, I think it's going to be um, a huge charge, not just for the California Lawyers Association, but for all of our bar associations. um, Going forward. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think there's going to be, I think now that we're sort of coming out of it and I say coming out of it, you know, it's going to be a a fingers crossed, right? (laughs) I know. Right. I think it's going to be a a long road because of all the, the things that have happened over the course of the last year, just getting, getting ourselves back to any semblance of normalcy is just going to be hard. And so it's really great that, that CLA is sort of taking the steps to, to try and, you know, get us there in a, in a, you know, fashion that's, you know, trying to build up our multiple things within us, which is like mental health and like, you know, all of the different mental health, physical health, right? Like um, being happy about going to work. (laughs) Putting pants back on. I don't know if I'm going to go that far, but there you go. (laughs) I think everyone's like, wait, I have to have a waistband again. No. Um, (laughs) Can't everything be yoga pants? (laughs) Right. I mean, it's just, it just should be at this point. I'm going to broaden this question. What do you, what do you wish uh, an ally to do to support women or diverse classes of people? Yeah. So I will just say personally, I am where I am uh, largely because of the good graces of a number of powerful white men uh, who have been extraordinary allies. And, you know, I think there are a number of things that folks can do. One of the biggest is to advocate for us when we're not there, when we're not in the room, right? That's huge from my perspective, right? To make sure that, you know, not only are we sort of left to fend for ourselves, but mentors and sponsors are looking out for us too and saying, hey, wait, let's put this person forward for this opportunity or let's make sure that this person gets some of this sort of experience under under their belt. So I think that's really important. And, you know, I heard, so that's kind of broad, right? But also very specifically finding um, creative ways to make sure that our contributions are recognized, that our voices are heard. I heard this story and I'm not going to get it exactly right, um, but it was essentially, you know, a young male attorney, young female attorney sent overseas to negotiate with a client and they're kind of sitting around the table and the male attorney notices that all of the client questions are directed to him, that they're essentially, you know, ignoring the female attorney and treating her as if she's not there. So he sat her at the head of the table. He, when questions were addressed to him, deferred to her and said, you know, so I'm going to make a name up, right? Um, I don't know, you should really ask Susan or Susan should really address that. And so it's not just um, sort of the abstract big picture uh, advocating uh, for us when we're not there, which is huge because I'm sorry, white guys do it for themselves all the time. Absolutely. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> but it's also the in the moment interventions um, yeah. that I think matter a lot as well. And finding creative 
humorous or polite uh, and sometimes, you know, not so polite and not so humorous ways to kind of interrupt uh, sexism and racism and other kinds of bias when you see it. Because when you're the victim, oftentimes you're sort of like, whoa, did that really just happen? What am I supposed to do? Particularly if you are relative to the perpetrator, um, less powerful. Yeah. I guess that's the concept of, you know, having a seat at the table. Sometimes the seat isn't enough. Sometimes you need to have somebody who helps you, you know, have a voice at the table, not just the seat at the table. So that's, I think that's a a great concept. Yeah. If willing, will you tell me a time uh, when you didn't stand up for yourself and and what was the biggest regret related to that? You seem like a person who probably stands up for yourself, but. (laughs) But you know what? I I think everybody has those moments, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really interesting question and it never feels good. You know, and I, I, two, two instances come to mind immediately. One was a long time ago and I was at a grocery store that shall not be named, but let's just say a very fancy, uh, <laughs> fancy it. and well-known grocery Got store ch- okay. chain <laughs> waiting in the sort of, you know, at the deli counter to be, um, uh, to have the person behind the counter serve me. This white guy steps up. And I said, excuse me. I was first. He's like, I'm sorry. I didn't see you. And then proceeds with his order. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm like, uh, Five, six, two hundred pound black woman. How is it that you don't see me? Um, So it was really kind of extraordinary, and I, I, it took such such gall that I just quite didn't know what to say. And of course, you know, the person behind the counter is like waiting at us is sort of you know taken aback. But because um, we live in the world we live in, and you know, he's the white guy, he's going to get served. So that was sort of interesting. it's but it still sits with me because I'm like yeah you're an advocate like the, for so the many craziest people. that's yeah. like the craziest thing I've ever heard and then something happened recently I, I was in what was supposed to be a professional setting and someone was upset about something I thought that you know the um, upset was really misplaced and overblown and they just kind of went on this rant and part of the rant was essentially who the heck do you think you are? Who are you to do this, right? And, you know, my regret, uh, because it was pretty clear to me, uh, it's sort of like, well, you know, I'm the CEO and executive director of the California Lawyers <laughs> Association. And I think what I've done was well within my rights, but the underlying piece of that, you know, who are you? Who, do, who the heck do you think you are? How dare you do this? to yeah. me has a lot to do with race and or gender and the intersectio- yeah. intersectionality, excuse me, Absolutely. of race and gender. So, you know, I, I sort of let the rant go on and tried to exit the phone call. And uh, more recently, someone complained about a speaker we'd invited. And, you know, we get the occasional complaints about um, some of the speakers that we invite to CLA were a private organization and we use our own <laughs> judgment. Yeah. And uh, yeah. as, as I shared uh, with someone on our board, you know, we can't run the organization based on the whims of popularity, tens, tens of thousands of members, <laughs> yeah. right? Like one yeah. individual who complains, it just comes with the territory. Someone's going right. to complain about something, yeah. right? But in this particular instance, I was a little frustrated um, because the speaker was so extraordinarily well-qualified and so well within the mainstream. I said, you know what? 
this smacks of uh, racism and sexism and I don't think we should entertain it. And yeah. I really, that the just calling racism when I saw it and calling sexism when I saw it kind of carried me for the, you know, a day or two. I was sort of like, yeah, yeah. you know, um, it was the right, it was the right call. It's absolutely, you know, when I tell people sort of the specifics, they're like, whoa, that's just crazy town, right? And somehow naming it just made me feel better, so. But um, I, it's hard though, when you know that something's sexist or racist, I, I find in just like the current world we're living in, when you know, like in your gut, you're like, this is racism, this is sexism, saying it out loud, mm -hmm. not only does it offend the other party so hard, but you're like, oh my God, am I right? Like, I know I'm right, but am I right to say this? Is this yeah. gonna offend anybody? And it's just, it's, it is- Well, that's for so whole... long, we've been told it's, you know, you're imagining yeah, it, it's in your yeah. head, it's not real. You know, you're exaggerating, right? Until people saw uh, the George Floyd videotape, yeah, people would not have believed that Black people in this country are dealing with this all the time, every day, right? And um, something happened last year, and I think really opened up people's eyes, at least those people who are willing to see. I mean, some people obviously have no interest um, in really understanding things, but it was really, I think, eye-opening for a lot of people that, oh, this is what they're talking about, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah. yes. Yeah, it's, it's just, um, I feel like there's a, it's just a, a, a last year was just, I think, a, a breaking point for a lot of people. And, mm -hmm. and it's just, uh, it's just been a weird year since then. So what advice do you wish you would have been given? That is the most general question, but, but I, I, I want you to answer it. <laughs> yeah, um, so the, I guess there, there are two pieces of advice. Um, one um, is advice I wish I'd been given, and one is um, advice I often give to other people. <laughs> oh, I love it, yes, I love so, all of it. Uh, the advice that I wish I'd been given is just, it's gonna be okay. Like it's, it's all going to work out. And I was strictly as a, you know, relatively junior associate in sort of big law firms, just, I damaged my own health, right? Because I was so right? stressed out all the time about everything. And, you know, these are not welcoming environments. And, you know, there's an even bigger hurdle uh, if you happen to be uh, female or black, yeah. but you know, I'm okay. <laughs> but that's, that's a perspective that has yeah. taken years for me to sort of um, kind of get to, you know, things are going to work out and you're going to be okay for the most part, right? Sometimes yeah. bad things happen, but uh, generally just taking a breath and knowing that things are going to be okay. I don't know that how you give that to anyone though, because I'm sure there were people who were saying that to me and it just didn't sink in because I was in the middle of it. So um, yeah. And then the, the advice I give to other people, particularly women, particularly people of color, uh, is uh, in a professional setting, if you're struggling with trying to figure out whether or not you should ask for that raise or whether or not you should ask to do this project or how you should handle some sort of slight in the workplace, my advice is to imagine one of the brashest, most powerful unapologetic white guys you know and do what he would do <laughs> so, i like it yeah i mean so. that'll get you pretty far in this in, in the profession i yeah. know right that'll, that'll get you everywhere 
That's great. I, I like both of those things a lot. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to hold those near and dear. Feel free um, to steal them. <laughs> I, oh, I'm, 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 I steal all of them and I'm going to tell them, I'm going to tell them to everyone I, I meet. I promise. I, I want to go back to something you said earlier, and then also sort of bring it back to another question I have. How do you handle uh, an uh, interrupter or a mansplainer? And then I have a part B to that question. Yeah. So it depends on the circumstance, right? I think that I am, I, I consider myself to be extraordinarily fortunate to be in the role that I'm in, which carries with it a certain amount of authority. Uh, and so, you know, if it's a circumstance where it's, where I'm in charge, frankly, <laughs> um, I tend to just be pretty direct and sort of say, hold on, you're talking over that person. Can we go one at a time? Uh, sorry, you know, John, yeah. can you please let Helen speak? Um, yeah. Or isn't that what Susan just said? <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, I need you in my life all the time. I, 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 I thought, I thought that's, isn't that the same thing that so-and-so, you know, isn't that the same thing that Betty just said, or, you know, something like that. When I am not though, uh, yeah. you know, sort of the person running the meeting, it's a little tougher. And I frankly, I'm always watching others to see if, you know, to, to kind of pick up what other people are doing and to try to um, get more tools in my toolkit yeah. um, to be that interrupter um, or, uh, you know, to, you know, because sometimes people just frankly just, and um, lawyers are notorious for this, right? Yes, um, they are. <laughs> talk just because, just because they want to hear themselves talk. My mm -hmm. favorite people who run meetings are people who say, if someone has already made the point, we would ask that you not make the same point, right? <laughs> like just, if right? someone already said it, you don't have to say it again. So yeah. I, 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 I like that approach. If I'm sort of in a meeting or, you know, in a circumstance where, you know, this famous dynamic of a woman says it and then a guy repeats it and everyone's like, oh, oh, you know, <laughs> James, yep. great idea, right? Yep, yep. Uh, you know, all the time. Um, <laughs> at which point I can sort of say, well, that's, you know, isn't that the same thing that Mary said? Can we, um, Mary, what were you thinking? Isn't that the same thing you were saying? So I don't, I don't have great tools. I think they're, you know, the same tools that we all have, which is, kind of do your best uh, and to call attention, to call attention to what's going on in a, a, to circum in a way that's appropriate for the circumstances, I guess. Yeah. I mean, so, so I have, I have a couple of groups that I'm a part of and I have a friend that's in both of them that continuous and she's, a, she's a person of color. She continuously gets interrupted. And I know it's, it's because of, you know, because she's black. And I, I don't have any tools to assist her in it. And I just feel like I can't run interference because there's nothing for me. Like I'm not, I'm not anybody's friend either. And I'm not in charge of anything. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so I just, I, you know, I, I wish there was something that I could do that would be, you know, helpful to her, but I, I just don't. Well, you try, know. you know, try the, oh, I'm sorry. I was really interested in hearing the rest of what, you know. Saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was interested what, what, in that. Can we continue? Can we finish? Yeah. 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 All right. I'll um, go that way. It, it, okay. It, see, see how it goes. Let me know. <laughs> Report if not, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to come back to you and be like, that did not work. No, I'm just kidding. Um, all right. <laughs> Next question. What is an under-recognized hurdle for women in the legal profession? 
Yeah. So that was a tough one. Cause I really didn't have an answer. <laughs> I didn't have an answer. I do not think that, um, it's under or unrecognized, but this disproportionate burden of caregiving that many women, yeah. um, you know, have, whether it's caring for children or caring for elderly parents and yeah. it's complicated, right? Because I think part of it is frankly, equality in our interpersonal relationships, right? Yeah. Say what you will about Sheryl Sandberg, uh, this idea that, um, who you partner up with matters, I think yeah. is, important. So there's a personal element to it, but there's also a policy and a social element to it, which is obviously if we didn't learn anything else from the pandemic, we learned that the United States has like zero social safety net, right? Absolutely. Um, we've got, I, I don't want to get too far afield, but yeah. uh, my daughter is a kindergarten teacher. And um, okay. so I sort of live through the whole challenge with respect to how, what do we do with um, children and education and the additional challenge, particularly again, for poor people, for people of color of, it, yeah, schools were a place where some people got fed. Absolutely. And when you think about that, right? I mean, yeah, the kids went hungry because they weren't in school and that was a whole additional layer on top of the learning loss and the education loss and the inequities with respect to digital access. And, you know, I think we clearly learned based on the disproportionate number of people of color who are kind of in these, uh, what they call us essential, essential workers, not yes. us, because I'm not one of them, but people who are essential workers. I mean, the absence of any sort of so social supports uh, yeah. that many, if not most other um, Western democracies enjoy. Um, yeah. I was going to use another, <laughs> I was going <laughs> to use other language, but I'll use Western democracies, affluent <laughs> Western democracies enjoy is, is a huge problem. And that exacerbates this caregiving dynamic. But the piece that I think is unrecognized, or at least not talked about a lot is how that splits your attention, right? Yeah. You're worried about your kids, or you're worried about, um, or, or you do all the mental, even if you've got someone who can pick them up, it's your responsibility to think of making sure that it's actually all lined up. You know, there's, I think, kind of a mental and psychological toll that that takes. So it, it's not a secret. It's not a surprise. It's but it's not talked about all that much. Yeah. So I guess it is sort of un, unrecognized to probably half of the population, you know, one, one part of the, <laughs> the population is not doing their fair share. For that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So and probably the half that's not going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> right. so, well, let's, let's get that out there. Uh, <laughs> what makes you feel, feel powerful? I love this question. Oh gosh. Um, so something I don't get to really do a whole lot anymore. Once upon a time, I participated in triathlons, uh, emphasis oh, on particip participate, <laughs> not, uh, not compete. I, uh, ages ago, um, I finished, I've done three half Ironmans, um, oh my gosh, and ages ago, like 
let's call it a decade. <laughs> a that's decade not ago. That's, that's uh, nothing. But, that's a blip. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I remember uh, sharing with um, a group of people, including a group that included a friend's young daughter that, you know, I'd finished a half Ironman. She said, did you win? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I survived. I was, uh, That's a yeah, win. Exactly. I survived. <laughs> um, I remember the race vividly because I was afraid to look at the, you know, at the end, they post all your times yeah, and all this no. stuff. And I was afraid that I wasn't even going to be counted as a finisher because if you don't finish <laughs> yeah. within a particular period of time, you don't even like, yeah, yeah. you just don't, aren't, it was like, you're you not on the board, it, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I like, I don't know. I finished with like, little tiny itsy bitsy few minutes to spare and I made it just under the cutoff but I was happy to have that's it, so. fine yeah like uh, <laughs> the fact that you made it past the finish line is kind of the greatest thing I've ever heard so no worries is that I'm guessing that's also what you wish you had more time for in your life more triathlons more. oh yeah yeah well you know just to more time to to swim and, and to bike I read to read stuff that's not, you know, not uh, yeah. legal or Problems. related. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not, not people's issues. Yeah. Emails. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's, it's so funny when my uh, children were younger, I, um, each of them uh, for various, various times and various uh, occasions got to uh, come to work with him. <laughs> like all you do is email. It's like, yeah, that's, that's it. That's yeah. all I do is email, but that's yeah. work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I often wonder if, if lawyers or if, if people that aren't lawyers have such a like fear of email that we do as lawyers. <laughs> uh, I find that, I find that my friends aren't afraid of their email as much as I am. I'm just like, Oh, I got an email. Oh no. And they're like, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Like it could, <laughs> little do they know it can send your whole, you know, there One goes email. your weekend, there goes your One evening. Line. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, oh, I didn't want this email. And they're like, what? All my emails are just like, it's fine. You know, hi. And I'm like, mine are not like that. They're mean. So I'm just kidding. Um, lastly, which three words best describe who you try to be in life and how do you want to be remembered? Ooh, I know, right? That's a good one. Um, Thank you. <laughs> that's a good one. Trailblazer. Mm-hmm. This is two words, but they go together. Mentor and champion for others. Mm -hmm. And loving mom, wife, <laughs> sibling, mm -hmm. you know. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I I think those are those are kind of the three that resonate with me right now. They may change. Yeah, ask me next year. <laughs> the list may change, but that's kind of what I'm feeling now. That's awesome. I, you know, I, I have done a lot of interviews with a, a lot of really, really cool people. I always find it so interesting that, that the, the people I talk to always put like mom or, or wife or whatever in there. And I'm always like, but you've, you know, done these amazing tasks, like built up a whole organization or, you know, done. And everybody always, you know, has that, that one aspect of that's so like human in there. And I just think that's super cool. So, so love is important. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think love so. Is important. <laughs> I, you know, there are some people who don't agree with you, but I, I definitely do. Um, I appreciate your time. I know that you are very, very busy. Thank you for chatting with us on spilling the tea with M. Shelley, and I hope that you have a good rest of your week. Thank you so much. This was awesome. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the invitation. This has been spilling the tea with M. Shelley. Thanks for listening. 
Want to learn more about the women featured on the podcast? Visit our website at www.mshele.com or email us at info at mshele.com. Stay connected with us on Facebook and YouTube by searching MCLE LLC and Instagram and Twitter at M underscore she underscore LE. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts. It would be greatly appreciated. Until next time, take care of yourself, lift each other up, and we'll see you on the next episode of Spilling the Tea with MCLE.